tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. Here we are. It's Monday. Oh, plunging into the deep end of the pool of biblical literacy. Well, I don't know. Maybe not the deep end, but we'll try. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit, by that same Spirit, give us right judgment in all things, evermore to rejoice in your comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who, have, who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. And Lord, while I got you on the line, I would just ask a special blessing for two little kids who are very frightened and have moved far away from home and are living with strangers and who are into stuff that is, well spiritually not good i'd ask you to put your arm of protection dear blessed mother be a mother to them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen all right just uh if you think of it i i don't want to go into details with their two little kids who uh um who've asked me for prayer <laughs> and uh they're um um uh, just to put it this way, they they have had to move in with relatives who are very anti-Christian. And uh, so keep me in your prayers. All right. Uh, let us, uh, well, I'll open the big book on the coffee table, of course. The readings of the day are just wonderful. Um, let me go to the gospel first. Uh it, it's um oh they're always wonderful why do i always say that they're this is luke 9 46 verse and following and i'm gonna say stuff that well oh i don't think a lot of people are gonna like to hear what i have to say today but don't don't you know we had the other day when ezra read the law we saw or was that was that yet to come i don't know if it's come or yet to come or has been but as we read the law and uh, uh the 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 people were grieving because they hadn't followed the law i said no 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 don't grieve don't mourn this is wonderful because um um god's given you his law and he's full of mercy and now you can follow his law but i look at this and i see Whoever receives a child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you is the one who is the greatest. I look at that and I think, uh, 
you know, we just think that the Lord has abandoned us. And the Lord hasn't abandoned us. We've abandoned the Lord. I mean, listen to what, what you hear. Whoever receives a child receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And in our, 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 our devotion to artificial birth control and abortion and sterilization and sterile marriage uh, and unnatural marriage, we have rejected children. We've said that the intimacy between man and woman is not about children. I remember Malcolm Muggeridge, uh, uh, who wrote the book Something Beautiful for God, which really helped the world to, to know about the work of Mother Teresa. Um, and 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 uh, the sister, the missionaries of charity, uh, he said that the decision in the 20th century, of which the Catholic Church would be proudest, uh, would be the decision not to go along with the tendency in the world to approve artificial birth control, because artificial birth control uh, divorces, uh, well, I'll, I'll just say it, erotic love from family life. What? Yeah, it divorces uh, the the intense love of man and woman from family life. We think that children are something you have if you want, because, well, it's interesting to have children. You don't want to be lonely when you're old. But it really has nothing to do with the passion of, of, of intimacy. And that's not the way it's made. Uh, the, the intense... Uh, secret life of a man and a woman. And, and I, I say it that way. I remember my mom and dad, um, uh, may they rest in peace. When they were in their 70s, they closed the bedroom door. I mean, uh, they, they, they were in love with each other. I remember we, when, when I turned 18, uh, I was working in the summer and home from school. My sisters were home, older than I, and the freezer was full and we had money and, and mom and dad announced they were getting in the car and driving across the country. And um, this was before cell phones, before any of that sort of thing. And how dare they? <laughs> we realized that we were kind of interruption in their intimacy, all seven kids, that, that, that they, they were in love with each other. And that's what had given us life. And and the intense and secret passion they had for each other. I remember when we found my father's, my father, I always say, was the most German of men. He did not own a dull pencil. I do not ever remember him being late for an appointment or or um, uh, wrong about a fact. He was very tedious that way. He was always right. Uh, see, I come by it naturally. Well, uh, I wish I wish I was as, as knowledgeable as my father, but... Um, we found these this box of love letters in the attic and the pet names they had. My father was so embarrassed, and my 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 mother said, "Oh, sigh. That's what she called him, sigh. <laughs> oh, sigh. Don't worry about it." Um, you know that that they were in love with each other, and and the intensity of their feeling for each other is what had given us life, and that's a beautiful thing. Now we think of kids as kind of a a hobby, like some people grow orchids, some people have dogs, some people have children. Two, maybe one and a half. Um, it's not the way it was designed. So Malcolm Muggeridge uh, said that the decision that the Catholic Church had made uh, 
to maintain its traditional abhorrence, I suppose is the appropriate word, for artificial birth control and for unnatural things, um, was the decision about which they would be proudest. And, you know, a lot of us think Humane Vitae, the, the encyclical of Paul VI, that <clears throat> that um, reminded Catholics that we had always been opposed to these things. And we continue in our opposition. Uh, well, it failed. It did not fail. I really believe that there are countries, including the United States, which are in, in demographic freefall. We're not in total demographic freefall yet, but we're close. Places like China, uh, places like uh, Lithuania and and uh, most countries in Europe are in pretty much in Italy, demographic freefall. And uh, when you're in democracy, there's never been a country where the population has begun to shrink that has come back uh, from its, its, uh, its shrinking. And, um, you know, that, that uh, it, it's really a problem. Uh, well, it's a good thing we do. We have too many people. No, we don't. We have too many uh, old people, perhaps. Uh, we don't have too many young people. Uh, uh, the economic consequences of the global uh, implosion, the population implosion, are going to be breathtaking, already are breathtaking in certain countries like Japan. But all that said, um, um, if <clears throat> the Pope, Paul VI, had said yes to artificial birth control, Latin America would be in a demographic freefall. It's already pretty bad. The population is is going to shrink in almost all Latin American countries uh, pretty soon. Brazil, for instance, I think the total fertility rate is like 1.7. Um, uh, Mexico is still above the replacement rate, but barely. Um, if if artificial birth control had been approved, there would have been a Planned Parenthood clinic in, every, in the basement of every rectory in Latin America, I have a feeling, and, and it would be a continent full of sad old people now, and it is not, not yet, though the secularization has um, pushed it that way. So, we have said no to children, and in saying no to children, we read, we have said no to Christ. And having said no to Christ, we say no to the Father. We say, God, where are you? He said, you told me to go away. If you receive me by opening, being open to life, then I will return and, and I, will, I will bless you. But as long as we as a society are, are opposed to the giving of life, then we have abandoned God. He has not abandoned us. I believe that with all my heart. Well, that's pretty mean. I mean, there's a lot of people listening who, well, are past the time of giving life and, and uh, were convinced that artificial birth control wasn't such a bad thing. I'd like to almost to apologize for my generation of clergy and the generation before me. We were actually taught in seminary uh, by our moral, prof the head of the morals department, who's long since dead, um, <clears throat> how to help people think their way around humanae vitae. To commit a mortal sin, you have to have a full turning of the will and full freedom, uh, and it must be objectively, uh, morally uh, serious. Well, okay, artificial birth control, objectively morally serious. But who can say... Um, um, that they have full freedom of the will when they're 10 kids and no money and all that. So we, we learned how to help people think their way around uh, artificial birth control. And thus we, we seduced 
many people into sin. And I would maintain, and this is I'm going on a limb here, but I would maintain that if you can think your way around one sin, you can think your way around any sin. And my generation of priests, not all of us, of course, but many of us, were taught to be adept in helping people and ourselves think our way around sin. And the consequences have been disastrous. So God has not abandoned our, our, our society. We have abandoned him. And that's what today's reading says. John said in reply, Master, we saw someone, and then he goes right into this thing about demons. Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow in our company. Jesus said, do not prevent him, for whoever is not against you is for you. And uh, I, I think that this is, uh, why, why is this bit about accepting a child followed by this bit about accepting uh, uh, people who are not of our group? Well, for the simple reason that that um, I think looking at the present, I just interpret in terms of the present crisis, we need each other. And true ecumenism admits for um, uh, our disagreements. You know, we don't agree about everything. But on the other hand, we agree that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. So, um, you know, don't don't be too quick to re to to reject what God is doing somewhere other than in our midst because uh, we need all the grace we can get. All right, I want to go, however, to the first reading because I particularly love that reading uh, in. Um, Zechariah, the eighth chapter. Zechariah wrote about 522 B.C. He's contemporary with with uh, uh, Zerubbabel, the rebuilder of, of the, the temple after the exile in Babylon. And he's contemporary with Haggai and, and uh, uh, that bunch. <laughs> so uh, uh, they, they were prophesying right at the time of the return of the exiles. <clears throat> and the Lord says, I'm intensely jealous for Zion. Now, what's Zion? Uh, Zion is a place name, and we're not sure uh, uh, where it comes from. Shion uh, means castle in Hebrew, uh, and Shia um, uh, means dry land or the desert. Um, it also is, is a Hurrian word. Uh, the Hurrians were um, um, a non-Semitic people in the area called Shaya, which means the river, the brook. And there's a river, uh, a brook just that flows out of the side of uh, Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion has come to apply pretty much exclusively to the west hill of Jerusalem, but it really originally applied to the east hill or the city of David. So that's what Zion is. And God is intensely jealous for Zion. Um, and uh, he will return to Zion and dwell within Jerusalem. Now, years ago, 1973, I made my first trip to the Holy Land, pack on my back, all by myself. Um, uh, and uh, I, I was in the uh, new Jewish quarter in the old city. And I'm wandering around lost. It was like a, uh, it was like a maze. And uh, I finally sat down on a bench just to see if I could reconnoiter my my bearings and and uh and and rest for a moment and uh i just i had the bible with me and i opened the bible and uh i read old men and women each with staff in hand shall again sit in the streets of jerusalem i was young at the time the city shall be filled with boys and girls playing in the streets the, the, thus says the lord of hosts even if this should seem impossible 
in the eyes of the remnant of, of his people. Remember, there were maybe 5,000 who'd come back with Zerubbabel. Nobody came back. It was just most people stayed in Babylon. And there's this rubble heap, no, a, a heap of rubble, no city walls. The temple was, was a heap of rubble. They're looking at this heap of rubble. And Zechariah says, even if this should seem impossible, shall it be in those days impossible in my eyes also? No, I will rescue my people from the land of the rising sun and the land of the setting sun and bring them back to Jerusalem. Well, I'm reading this about the boys and girls playing in its streets. And if, as if at a signal, all the mothers came to the, the doors and the windows and shouted for the kids to come in for the noonday meal. And I realized I was witnessing prophecy fulfilled that, that 2,500 years before that moment, that a prophet had said this pile of rubble would one day again be a city and children would play in its streets. He was right. You see, the Lord makes a promise. He keeps it for well or for ill. And this promise of the Lord uh, that that if we don't receive him, is a promise. If we don't receive a child, we do not receive him. But if we do receive a child... Uh, or a prophet, we receive the prophet's reward. You know, history, we so worry that history is out of control. History is not out of control. We are out of control. And those people who seek the Lord and understand the principles of the kingdom of God, those people will do just fine. Speaking of that, I think it's time to to go to... Uh, Mass hysteria. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. The God of mercy. The God who saves. I shall not fear. For this, we gave up Gregorian chant. It's a lovely song. But... A hundred years from now, people are not going to be listening. They're still listening to Mozart and Bach, but mostly they're listening to to chant. At any rate, I mean, it's amazing how 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 the traditional music of the church persists. But I would like to take. Uh, uh, um, I I've talked about how mass is not. Uh, now, now now take what I say with a grain of salt, please. But I don't believe mass is a repetition or a replication of the Passover. It happened at the Passover. It is the Messianic banquet, the Messianic sacrifice, uh, the, 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 the Thanksgiving sacrifice, which was offered when you were saved from death, uh, was the only sacrifice that would still be offered when the Messiah came, at least according to Talmud and the rabbis. Well, <clears throat> it's a sacrifice. It involves water and wine and a lamb and loaves of bread that you take and consume uh, in fellowship with your family and friends. Uh, that's that's the, the Messianic sacrifice. Now, I want to go through the parts of the Mass, um, but I want to jump ahead to the Liturgy of the Eucharist. <clears throat> At the beginning of the Eucharistic prayer, or just before the consecration, there is something called the epiclesis, which is a fancy Greek word meaning the calling down. 
Epi is a pond and Clesis is a calling. So uh, the calling down the Holy Spirit on bread and wine. Uh, now, in the Epiclesis in the Roman canon, the Holy Spirit is not explicitly mentioned, but the gesture is there. And people speak with more than words. I think uh, some people in the Eastern Church consider um, that canon invalid because the Holy Spirit is not directly mentioned in the calling down. But you, uh, you speak with more than words. So I have no, no problem with, with the validity of the, the, the canon. It is interesting, though, that... that um, in the Mass, 99% of the prayers, maybe less than that, but close, are offered to the Father. And then right before communion, we, we speak to Jesus, the Son. And only one place in the Mass, in the old offertory prayers, the offertory was completely changed, and we use the Jewish uh, blessing of bread and wine in the new, in the new Mass. But in the old Mass, there was a, a prayer, Veni Sanctificator, Omnipotens Eterni Deus, which was the only time we spoke to the Holy Spirit. The only time we spoke to the Holy Spirit calling him you, thou. Um, and we don't have that in the, in the new Mass because those prayers were radically changed. So I think it's very important uh, that we consider that. And if anybody important uh, ever listens to this, and has the authority to do so. I would I would put that prayer back. Uh, I don't think it invalidates the mass because we still do address the Holy Spirit by gesture in this epiclesis. And why do I mention the epiclesis? To rem epiclesis is a sacrificial gesture, the laying on of hands when you offered a sacrifice to the Lord. The priest laid his hands on the head of that which was to be sacrificed when it was a an animal sacrifice. A blood sacrifice, which mass, though it is an, an unbloody representation, it still is uh, the renewal of the sacrifice, the mass. And in what sense is the mass a sacrifice? I make up in my own flesh, as St. Paul says, what is lacking the sufferings of Christ. That I'm saying when I go to mass, especially when I receive the Eucharist, I'm saying as he has laid his body and blood on this altar for me and the salvation of the world and the church, I will lay my body and blood on this altar. In, in love of him, with him, for the salvation of the world and for the renewal of the church. And it's a sacrifice. The gesture of the laying out of hands over bread and wine is a sacrificial gesture. So we are sacrificing, not Christ again. He's been sacrificed once and for all. We're joining him on, on the cross. So uh, remember, you don't go to Mass to get something. You go to Mass to give something. You go to Mass to give your life to the Lord. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with letters. 888-914-9149. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. When Jesus Oh, yes. I, I love this song. And I, I remember one parish I was at, we sang it very regularly. And I love this song. And 
when we sang it for an exit hymn. You know, my point in all this is fine. Go for broke with the entrance hymn, the exit hymn, just so you're doing this, the the introit. Uh, when you know mass kind of starts with the introit, but uh, you can sing a little preparatory music that's groovy, and uh, I do like that song. But at any rate, um, let's go to letters. Oh, before we go to letters, I heard rumors that I was talked about on the on the Patrick Madrid show this morning. I I, I wasn't listening to to it at the time, but uh, what what was that about? Hey, but wasn't that great last week at the Christ Springs Hope Award dinner? He got the Caritas Day Award, and he was literally speechless. <laughs> he was speechless. It was funny, and I think he, he didn't. He was he didn't know what to say. Of all people in the world, be speechless. Father Simon, because you got to rip the microphone out of his hand at the end of the hour. You know, he'd go on for hours. Uh, yeah, Father Rocky is right. I, I, I am rarely speechless. And as you know, I can go on for hours. And it's just ask my parishioners in the sermons. But uh, yeah, I was, I was, that was really, that was really kind. Uh, and I did so enjoy seeing all the folks up in Minnesota. They're a nice bunch of people. Uh, the relevant radio crowd in in uh, Minnesota is Midwestern nice on steroids. They really are sweet people. So God bless you and thanks. It was an honor. But uh, as I left the microphone, I thought of a few more things I could have said, but <laughs> I was a little speechless. All right. Well, we let's go to letters. Let's go to letters. You know, speaking of letters, I don't know if this qualifies as a letter, but I, I did a little shout out the other day. Uh, um, I was just so impressed. I went up to the uh, uh, University of uh, of uh, uh, University of Wisconsin Madison. I was no in Janesville, uh, their Newman House, and uh, I think I butchered <laughs> Father Father John's name, Father John Del Priori. He has got the greatest plans to build a beautiful, beautiful building for the Lord. And uh, I, I wish him nothing but luck on that. Uh, uh, it's St. Augustine University Parish. And I was so very impressed with uh, uh, the people who, who were working there. So uh, beautiful, be just beautiful. So at any rate, another shout out to, with the name right, Father John Del Priori. And uh, of course, there's Adam and Augusta and Christina who were working at the, at the center. Wonderful. Uh, so... At any rate, one of those. Yeah, I think I think the voice in my head, who's half Italian, um, said uh, mentioned some ethnicity. Well, yes, yes. Father John is half Italian, and half Italian anything is a wonderful combination. It's, it mel Italian mellows things out. But that's not what I want to talk about. I want to go to letters. Oh, oh and I got a letter here uh, from from Alexis. Uh, very interesting. Um, because she wanted to, to call in because she was confronted with a situation uh, um, at a, a, a meeting she was at um, uh, where they started talking about psychics. And, and she started uh, praying the prayer to St. Michael. And I just, Alexis, uh, th thanks for the letter. And I'd mentioned something about being spiritual warfare. We really are in a spiritual warfare. And I think it's very, very important that we, uh, that we, um, uh, uh, that we realize that it's not against flesh and blood we war, says St. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, but against powers and principalities. So, um, you know, the, this is serious stuff living on this planet. Uh, uh, 
Thank you. This is from, uh, I, I've dealt with this, but I want to talk a little bit more about it from Wilma. Uh, thank you for responding to my previous email. No, no need to respond to this email on the air. Uh, well, I, I, I do want to because I think I need a little help with it. If I understand correctly, there's basically no difference between having a funeral mass and a mass said for the intention of someone at a later date. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think I agree with that. It is considered the right of every baptized Christian to have what we used to call a requiem mass. And the mass, you know, I remember Father Brank and my classmate used, someone would come up to him and say, what's, what's uh, the theme of today's mass? That was a big thing when I was young, the theme of the mass. And he said, oh, the theme of the mass? Well, the death and resurrection of, of the Son of God. That's the theme of the mass. Um, the funeral masses, I think that is the one exception because it's a mass in which that person is mentioned frequently. In a sense, it's, of course, about the death and resurrection of the Lord, uh, his conquest of death. But it is uh, also very much oriented toward a person. And masses, uh, in, in the general instruction uh, uh, to the... Um, uh, to the Roman Missal, and of course in uh, Sacrosanctum Concilium that we're, we're reading a lot, uh, it says Mass is not to, to celebrate a person. This is, the funeral Mass is the one exception in which not the person is celebrated, but the person is specially prayed for throughout the Mass. So I think there is a difference. Um, uh, if for some reason you cannot have the Requiem Mass for a person, perhaps their immediate family is opposed to it, then have Masses said. But I, if anyone knows another reason for the Requiem Mass or the Mass, specific Mass at the time of death, uh, if possible, involving the, the, uh, the, the body of the person who's gone, gone to, to the throne of God, um, I'd like, I'd like, if you can help me with that, I would like to know. All right, let's go to another letter here. This is, um, uh, this is kind of fun one. This is from Steve. Um, some time ago, uh, well, he talks about Indiana Jones in the movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where Indiana Jones has to choose the Holy Grail and, uh, his life depends on, on it. Uh, he ultimately chooses a simple wooden cup, the cup of the carpenter. So, would he have done that? Uh, some years ago, I heard your description of the Jewish rites during the Passover involving several cups. I realized that it's possible these cups would be sort of Jewish sacramentals and could be reused from year to year, might be made of precious metals. You're right. Um, we don't know what the Holy Grail was like. There are some uh, cups that purport to be the Holy Grail, but they really have very little good provenance, and we don't know. Um, well, of course, they must have saved that cup. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I don't know. Uh, but drinking vessels at the time of Christ were usually made out of out of ceramic. Um, the Jews also made them out of stone because uh, once, if, if a clay vessel was made unclean, it, it had to be broken. Uh, but a, a vessel made out of stone could not be made unclean. So they would often make vessels out of stone. And uh, you do see some vessels. I think one of the vessels that purports to be uh, the Holy Grail is made out of uh, uh, semi-precious stone. Uh, so we just don't know. So it doesn't help at all, Steve. But uh, I think you have a point that it wasn't necessarily some little wooden cup that uh, that um, was 
just poor. I mean, Jesus had the Last Supper in the home of a person who was clearly of some means. Uh, they had a, an upper room, so um, so we don't know. Well, that's helpful. We don't know. All right. This is um, from Victoria. Um, in response to comments about the lack of young people, uh, if you get the opportunity, please pass along uh, that uh, in in uh, more traditional parishes or at Eastern Catholic Divine Liturgy, there are lots of kids. Uh, <laughs> I think that's true, where people are traditional. Uh, and by that, I mean the moral tradition of the church. Uh, I, I think that, um, you know, that whether it is the old mass or the new mass, uh, you have very traditional people who are involved in them. The tradition of the church is, is, uh, is, is, is not, I really don't think it is limited to one, uh, liturgical taste. And also the Eastern churches, a lot of those people do have children. Some do, some don't. But I think the quality of, of a parish, um, uh, should be looked at by the, the well, let me put it this way. The success uh, of, a, of a religious education program can be gauged uh, very simply. If a young man, or a young woman, but I would say more a young man, goes to church in summer when there's no religious education class, uh, when his parents are out of town or not there, you've got a successful program going. When a young person goes to mass without having to go in the summer, you know, that that's, that's, you got a good program going. So yeah, you, you can gauge the quality, the success of a church, I think by, um, by the kids. All right. Okay. Let's see how we doing time wise. Well, one more, and then we're going to go to our break. Okay. This is from, oh, this is, this is, oh, this is a tough one. Melissa, why doesn't the Catholic Church allow abortion if the pregnancy is threatening the mother's life? I don't take this issue lightly, but if the mother dies, then the unbaby, unborn baby will die too. That, I think, is one of the hardest things. But you see, the Jews talked about drawing a hedge about the law. Why would they measure the amount of water that you needed to wash hands? To draw a hedge around the law. And in a sense, we're drawing a hedge around the law also. Uh, that that you may not take a life to save a life. In other words, uh, if we're on a, on a rowboat and it's sinking in the middle of the ocean, and uh, the only way I'm going to save myself is by shooting you, I can't shoot you. It's the same thing. Now, practically speaking, this situation almost never occurs in our day and age where there is uh, advanced uh, medicine. So it's kind of a, 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 an unreal thing. However, the moral principle is very, very uh, strong. Um, Oh gosh, dear voice man, what's the name of the saint? She was a doctor who refused chemotherapy uh, because she was pregnant, and the child that she gave life. Oh, she's—it's amazing. I can't think. Someone will, someone will call in with it. Uh, she, Gianna, Saint Gianna Mola. She was canonized. Uh, her the daughter—I think it was a daughter—who she brought to full term in pregnancy um, was at her canonization. That. She died in 1962, and she she uh, she could have received uh, the the chemotherapy to save her life, morally, 
because we have what we call the, the principle of double intent. If the intent is to kill the child, you may not do it. If the intent is to, is to uh, remove a diseased organ, uh, for instance, uh, a fallopian tube that is diseased, that sort of thing, well, that's, that's the principle of not double intent, but double effect. Um, so uh, the chemotherapy that might have saved St. John's life would have killed her child, uh, and but her purpose was not to kill the child. You see, this only applies when my purpose is to kill the child to save the mother. Uh, it's a very, very rare situation, and I, I don't know that I've, I've encountered that in my, my pastoral life. Um, so I don't know that. Anyway, that's the principle that's here. Practically speaking, though, it, it, it doesn't really happen in, in at least in our situation. All right, uh, but it does happen, and uh, I think that uh, Saint Jana is a wonderful example of. That heroic thing. It's easy to say, but boy, it's, it, I don't know what I would do if I was faced with that situation. It would be very difficult. I would pray for grace. All right, let us go to a break, and we will come back, um, and we will take phone calls. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. <laughs> The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. From the Redwood Forest. Ah, thinking of my hippy-dippy youth. But thinking of that, let us go to the word of the day. I got a letter from Frank. Very interesting. My understanding of Catholic teaching is that we are all made in the image and likeness of God, and that at the fall... We retained the image but lost the likeness. I also know there are many differences between Catholic and Protestant theology, but until fairly recently, I didn't realize this was one of them. Um, that uh, He was watching a video of a fellow named Craig. He explained that contrary to the Catholic view, most Protestants understand image and likeness as synonymous. An online check of other Protestant sources confirmed this. Could you shed some light on these contrasting views? Yes, Hitler... I some no, I was that right. Let's go back. Calvin and Luther. Um, <laughs> oh, all those German names can be so confusing. Uh, Calvin and Luther. Though Calvin was a Zwing, well, Zwingli. I don't know if Zwingli thought thought this, but Calvin um, believed, and I think Luther would have agreed too, that the divine image of man was completely lost in the fall. And we don't believe that. We still believe we are made in the image of God. Every human being at his source is made in the image of God. The likeness of God was lost. Well, the same thing, image and likeness. Oh, no, 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 no. Because you see, the word image in in uh, Hebrew is a different word. Uh, it's tselem. Uh, and then the word for likeness is demot. 
why why are they the same thing? The two different words. Tselem means the image. When you say about someone, oh, he's the very image of his father, but he's not like him at all. Ah, that's different. You see, to be made in the image of someone, there's an expectation that because I look, uh, I resemble someone, that I should be like them in my moral quality too, which is not true for us. We have a fallen nature. We have not completely lost our our roots and our destiny, but we have lost that, that similitude, that likeness. So I think that's very interesting. Two different Hebrew words uh, for image and likeness, tselem and uh, demot. Uh, to be, uh, to use the word, demot comes from adama, which means to be like. I am not like God. As Mother Teresa said, um, uh, Christ is not like her, but she tries to be like him. So I hope that answers it. Two different words in Hebrew and also two different words in Greek. All right, let's go to phone calls. 888-914-9149. The phone is ringing. <laughs> the phone is ringing. <laughs> That's Inspector Cluzo. Ken from Minneapolis. Are you with us, Ken? From St. Paul, Father. Oh, sorry. oh dear. <laughs> Talk about image and likeness. Two different things. St. Paul and Minneapolis. Forgive me. All right, yeah. Ken from St. Paul. What can I do for you? <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about choir practice, prayer meetings, and revival meetings. And mm -hmm. in, in choir, you know, it'd be a good thing if people would have, like, um, choir practice where anybody could come to choir and they'd learn upgrade songs or upbeat songs that they could sing in family prayer and stuff. And sure. that, that instead of performing, that it would be a kind of a teaching time to teach young people and their their parents the song so they could sing them at home or sing them on, you know, yeah, you know, own. yeah, exactly. You know, uh, the, the, in Sacrosanum Concilium, we read the sacred liturgy does not exhaust the entire activity of the church. In other words, you got benediction, you got vespers. Hymns are very proper at, at, during the, the liturgy, the hours, um, sacred concerts, um, uh, prayer meetings, revivals, parish missions, when was the last time there was a good parish mission in your parish, that sort of thing? But in the 60s, it was like, oh, is there going to be Mass? Well, no. Well, why, why, why? I'm not going to go. There's not going to be Mass. It was, it was as if the only thing we did was Mass. The Mass is the source and summit of Christian life. It is not the totality of it. That, that one should be able to, to, to prepare for Mass, uh, um, through the many, many different forms of, of instruction that we have. So, yeah, exactly. I agree with your point wholeheartedly. There are lots of things we can do, and hymns are wonderful if they're good. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a great lover of hymns. But when we put hymns in the Mass, all of a sudden, that was all we did. We had Mass. Father, we're, we put new sod in at the preschool play lot. Can you come and say a Mass? I mean, what? You know, when I was a boy in the Woolly Mammoth Rome, Sunday Mass was Sunday morning, and that was it. Uh, and if you couldn't make it on Sunday morning, well, you were in trouble. Uh, so, very interesting. Well, thanks for calling in, and, and uh, we won't make the mistake of confusing Minneapolis and St. Paul again. Who we got now, dear voice in my head? 
David from Texas, are you with us? I sure am, Father, with great pleasure. Thank you. Well, thank you. What can I do for you? I have a question regarding the interest antiphon and the communion antiphon during weekly masses. Um, or is it mm-hmm. like the uh, bells at consecration and the exposition of the Eucharist and the, the chalice? Is it up to the church to decide? I've gone through the rubrics, I've, I've searched online, and I cannot find any particular time where this here is suggested that needs to be done. Yes, they're, they're, they are optional. Um, uh, for instance, the chalice veil is uh, said to be a, a practice which is much encouraged. The The kind of Italian approach to these things was, yeah, you really should. Whereas the German, of course, approach, of course, <laughs> it would be, you will do this or else. But the Italian is more flexible. And Americans, when they see a loophole, they go right through it. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 these things were were optional, uh, but encouraged. Uh, and they were customs, you know. I think, interesting, you mentioned the bells at Mass. The bells at the Mass are very Old Testament. It's interesting. I didn't think they were important until I saw a Coptic Mass where they're busy shaking bells all during communion. As people come up to receive Holy Communion, they're shaking a kind of bell thing called a sistrum. And when they didn't have the sistrum, they used the actual uh, Western bells. Uh, we had a Coptic Mass at, at one of the parishes I was at on a regular basis. And I found out that the high priest had bells around the hem of his garment so that as long as the bells were making noise, you realized he was alive and communing with God. And so in the, in the Mass as we have it, the closer we come to communing with God, the more bells we used to have. But, of course, we got rid of all of the fripperies and, of course, divorced ourselves from the sacrificial tradition of the temple. So, yeah, the the, uh, uh, the, the, the the different bells, that sort of thing, these are all kind of, uh, uh, these are all things that draw us to temple worship. Does that help a little? It does. Going back to the Athons, we have the pleasure of visiting yep. different churches during the week. And the, mm-hmm. the communion antithon at the church, our local church, is being practiced before the priest even consumes the Eucharist and the chalice. And I've just never seen it mm-hmm. in any wow. other church, and that's kind of their standard as compared to after well, communion. It's- it's it's meant to be sung during communion, you know, um, uh, and and uh, again, I'm encouraging people to learn a simple psalm tone, the Peregrinus tone for more solemn times, and the mode eight, which is sort of called the people's tone. It's very simple. So, yeah, it's it's a beautiful custom, and um, again, these are uh, uh, <laughs> the voice. It's a people's tone. It sounds kind of communist. No, 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 it's not. Don't worry. All right. Well, thanks for calling in. And uh, yeah, it is a beautiful custom. Good thing to, to renew. Who we got now? Rebecca, are you Hi. with us? I am. I'm a silent Good. admirer all the time. But I wanted to tell you. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> um, oh. I, I I had to tell. I had to call today because my um, when you started talking about, I said, "Oh, I know Saint Gianna," and I'm so uh, love her so much. But my daughter has this currently happening to her. Is um, I think God oh. she became pregnant because of of, of her. Uh, she the doctor told me privately that she's been chasing her for four years. 
because she got pre-cancer, the cervix, and she didn't go in. Mm. And now she doesn't. She oh. has bipolar. And she doesn't like to go around doctors, but she's in there now, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. and she chose life from the beginning because the doctor wanted abort. And so I praise God because oh you know we we're not there when those things happen, but. Mm-hmm. From the start yeah. to almost now, she's going to be induced early on October 7th, and it's, it's a mm-hmm. feast of the Holy Rosary. She's going to be induced, and if uh, it's the labor, it's in the, at 4 on that day. If the labor goes longer at midnight, it'll be my mom's uh, who, uh, birthday, who loved Mary so much that when her daughter was born, mm-hmm. she, uh, was uh, in the womb, she prayed for her all the time, and she always has a rosary around so it's fitting that it's either the Holy Feast of the Holy Rosary or, or you know, my mom's sure. birthday. But I'll tell you, um, yeah. you know, so I just praise God for everything because um, she she chose life for the baby, and they wanted to do very aggressive things. They've been cutting her cervix, and she bleeds, and she tells her no, and they do it anyways. And then they said, oh, let's do an MRI oh, with it. We said, we don't want the radiation for the oh, baby. My. We'll just let God, yeah, we'll just let God handle this she'd rather her baby live and she'll handle that when it comes out. So I thank God my daughter has chosen all this and I know this baby boy will be fine, you know. Yeah. Timothy. Well, <laughs> we are going to, we're going to, October, October the 7th, we will certainly be praying. I will certainly be praying. I'll ask people to pray for a successful delivery and for the, uh, and for the health of your daughter as well. So while we got you on the line, Lord, just please bless this young woman and this child in the womb and, and bless Grandma and let them know how much you love them. And we we thank you for a life that is eternal. We thank you for these things. So, well, thanks thanks for calling in. You know, I, I mentioned early on about, um, uh, you know, the, the warfare that we're in, uh, the spiritual warfare. And I've shared this before, but... Um, I remember being in, at a, a, a big old Pentecostal conference, and there was this this old Pentecostal preacher up there uh, preaching, and he said, you know, the devil envies humanity, and I wish I had a Bible verse to confirm that. I thought, ooh, I'm Catholic, I do. Ecclesiasticus, it was to the envy of the devil that death entered the world. You know, God shared with humanity something he didn't share with the angels. Uh, angels can't have children. Jesus said they are like angels in heaven, neither giving nor taking in marriage. Angels can't have children. They can only steal our own. Uh, They steal our children. And uh, um, uh, the devil hates children. And all of the horrible things that have happened to children and continue to happen to children, uh, these things are demonic, no matter where they come from. And uh, uh, we need to understand that uh, we are in a, a life and death struggle with the devil. We know he's lost, except the problem is the devil probably doesn't know he's lost. Let's remind him that he's lost in our daily life together. Oh, I didn't even mention we're starting a rosary campaign, one of the great weapons against the devil. 